Good morning. It's good to see all of you, and uh, it's good to kind of be back to a little bit of the way we have done church in the past, and a little bit back to new normal, and um, so that's good, and it's good to be here, and uh, I'm excited to just share the word this morning, and how many of you feel like I do that um, it's good to get back to a little bit of routine? Sometimes the fall brings us back to that routine. And I'm excited about that. So if you have your Bible, you can grab it and open it to Matthew chapter 16. We'll get started there in just a moment. Um, but I wanted to give you just a little bit of background about where I'm going this morning and in the next couple of weeks. And as fall is coming and we're heading back to school and we're heading to some new directions with church, uh, I wanted to take a little bit of time to just talk about the church. Because I know that uh, our country and the world and even our church has gone through a lot over the past 17 to 20 months. Anybody done something new or had a new experience in the past 17 to 20 months? Okay, good. We're all in that together. Great. That's what I thought. Because all of us have been affected by COVID in one way or another, haven't we? And I think especially um, the church has been affected. By COVID. Because the church is designed, because it's people, it's designed to be a relational environment. And one of the things that COVID has kind of been, has challenged in a great way is all of our relational environments. All of our relational environments have been challenged during COVID. And so I wanted to talk about the church. Many of us, probably you, I know I have, have developed some new routines. And those of you that are watching online, you've probably developed some new routines. You might be at church at home right now doing church because you've developed a whole new routine to do church at home. And you're like, church in pajamas is way better than church in my street clothes. And so you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And, and I agree that uh, heading forward as a church, we're gonna need both digital church, but we're also gonna need in-person church. Both of these things are going to live together, and both of them are important. There's going to be Sunday mornings where you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to stay home today, and I'm going to enjoy church at home, and I'm going to watch there. But then eventually, all of us, right, need a relationship. Eventually, all of us need to sit in front of someone face-to-face -face and just live for Jesus together and say, how you doing? How am I doing? And how's my marriage going? How's my parenting skills? Where's my life at? What do I look like to Jesus? And all of those things need to grow in us. And so I think that that has all been attacked in the past 17 to 20 months. And we need to remind ourselves, what is the church and why do we have it? Now, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you're welcome. Because at Cheney Faith Center, that's why we're here. That's why we exist. We exist to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. And so whether you're spiritually unresolved and you're just trying to figure out who Jesus is or you're growing in Jesus or you've been living for Jesus for a while, um, you're welcome here. But I want to answer a question today. And the question is pretty simple. It's just, why is the church important? Why is the church important? But before I give three reasons why I, I think the church is important, I, I want to look at why Jesus thinks the church is important. Because we always start with him, don't we? 
And so in Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus uses this word, church, which in the Greek is the word ekklesia, which really means a fellowship or an assembly or a call that you have in your life. That, that's what this word means. And, and it means that you and I are called to be in relationship with one another. But the church is really people. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. In verse 13, Jesus says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Now I'd ask the same question to you this morning. What about you? What would you say about Jesus? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now that's a pretty uh, regular verse that you've probably heard if you've been hanging around church for a while, that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome it. But we have a question, and that is, what is this rock? What is this rock that the church is being built upon? Is it Peter? Well, that would be weird because Peter's not here anymore. So it can't be Peter. Is it a building? Is it a convention? Is it a denomination? It's none of those, is it? What the church is being built upon is the confession that Peter first made and the confession that billions of people have made since Peter, and that is that Jesus is my Savior. And he's the son of the living God. That's what the church is. The church is people that have made that confession, that have said Jesus is the savior of the world, but he's also my savior. That's what I believe. That's my confession. I'll ask you this morning, have you made that confession? I hope so. It's the most important thing you ever do or believe. So people that believe in Jesus as their personal Savior and trust him at the very core of their being are these individuals that we call the church. Now, Jesus also said that if you are a believer in him, then you're being built by Jesus. He's building you. He's helping you grow. He's doing something in your heart and in your mind and in your life. There's something being built in you on a regular basis by Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. Nothing that the enemy can ever do, nothing that the power of hell can even do can overcome what Jesus is doing in you because Jesus is building you. See, Jesus is building his church and the really crazy thing is he wants to use you in that process. I'm gonna talk about that this morning. So why is the church important? Well, let's look at the first reason. The first reason that I think the church is important is because it's God's idea. It's God's idea. 
A group of people that do life together because they believe in Jesus and want to live for him to get together every day, that's God's idea. That's God's idea for us to be in relationship. And here's what I've discovered, and I hope you have too, that God's ideas, God's wisdom, God's truth, God's direction, God's plan for my life is the best. There's lots of good things I could do, but there's only one best, and that's Jesus. That's to live for him. Now, when we change our lives and we give our lives to God, what we're really saying is, I believe that God's ideas are better than mine. I believe that God's plans for my life are better than my plans. Has anyone had a plan in your life that you thought was really great until God made it better? I have. (laughs) Something that I thought was going to be totally awesome. And then I realized, wait, God's plan is even better than mine. I should do that one. My life of sin, as enjoyable as it was, I thought was awesome. And then I realized God has a better plan. And it's so good. It's so awesome. And the wisdom that the Holy Spirit can impart to our minds and our hearts is so good. It's far superior than anything the world can do. See, we've discovered, and I hope you have from his word and from the Holy Spirit, that God's ideas are the best ideas. For instance, marriage is God's idea. That's why it's good. Being single is God's idea. That's why it's really good if you want to live single and glorify God your whole life. Living debt-free is God's idea. Therefore, it's the right thing to do all the time, isn't it? It's financially sound advice because it's God's idea. Loving your neighbor is a good idea. That's why it always makes sense to show love. See, God's ideas are the best ideas, and the church is God's idea. Now, let's look at that for a moment. I'm going to look at Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 just for a moment. If you want to turn there, you can. But I'm going to kind of summarize it because it's two kind of big chapters. And I want to show you why the church is God's idea. And in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, it's, it's kind of the birth, the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. We, we could say that Pentecost is our birthday as the church, but Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 show us God kind of starting the church, that God's idea taking form and making its, its home on earth, that happens in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. And look at what God does in, this, in these two chapters. Now, the first thing, just to remind us of, is in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's hanging out with 500 of his disciples. They're hanging out in Galilee, and he's about to literally lift off the planet and just go back to heaven, right in front of their eyes. That must have been a cool moment. Have you ever read anything in the Bible, and you're just like, man, I wish I could have been the fly on the wall right there? Like, that's one for me. Like, I wish I could have been the fly on the wall in that moment. That's one of about 100 that I have from God's word, but... um, I think that would have been kind of cool to just watch Jesus just leave, right? But right before he left, Jesus said this, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my father wants to give you. That was his direction. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my father wants to give you. So they did. They obeyed. They left Galilee. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited. Now, here's what I want to point out. They obeyed. 
I've noticed something very interesting about my life. Maybe you've noticed it about yours. And that is that every time I obey God and his word, something good happens. It's interesting. You say, Pastor Mark, sometimes bad things happen when I obey God's word. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not good. I say, well, what if I was getting persecuted? Well, didn't you know persecution is the greatest good for a Christian? Persecution is the greatest good I could do when I could stand before the world and say, I don't care what you do to me. I'm living for Jesus. That's the greatest good. So sometimes what we think is good and what, we, what the world thinks is good are totally different. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. As these believers obey, it's interesting that some do and some don't. Because remember, I said there were 500 believers in Galilee, but there were only 120 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born. So what were the other 380 doing? Something else. Have you ever found, your, found yourself doing something else besides following the Lord that day? I have. But there's 380 people doing something else other than obeying. Because obeying requires sacrifice and waiting and trusting that God knows what is best. Now, my guess is that those 380 people, they received the Holy Spirit as well at another point, but they didn't get to see the birthday of the church. See, my heart for you and for us as a church is that we would obey the Lord. We'd obey him in the things that we know we're supposed to obey him in, and we would get to see the hand of the Lord in our lives. And so God, in his sovereignty in Acts chapter 1, tells the believers to wait. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit filled the believers that were praying. They spoke in tongues, and they received the gift Jesus said that they would receive. By the way, that gift is still available to you and I today. Then on this birth of the church, Peter preached a message about Jesus, and 3,000 people got saved that day and believed in Jesus for the first time. And then they began new lives together. And this is where I want to spend a moment. They began new lives together. And you may ask, what did their new lives look like? What did the church look like? What was God's idea when his people would get together and they would live together? What was God's plan and his idea? What should the church look like? Well, it's right here in verse 42 to 45. Look at it with me. This is what the people of God, after they got saved in the first century, how they began to live. And for a moment, just listen to how they lived and what, and what they did and what they decided to do and think about if it's what we should be doing today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Now, here's what's interesting. This is the church. This is God's idea. Not just for the first century church, for all of time. 
in every country, in every race, in every creed, in every language, however people get together and be the church, this is what we should look like. We should look like people devoted to the word of God, to good teaching, to fellowship with one another, to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, to prayer, the miraculous, unity, giving. Meeting together is actually mentioned twice. Praising God and helping others believe in Jesus. Now I have a question. If you're a believer in Jesus, does this describe your life? Because this is the church. This is God's idea. Now I hope that you want to be part of God's ideas. I do. And that's why the first reason the church is important is because it's God's idea. The second reason the church is important is because we are the representation of Jesus on the earth. We represent Jesus as Christians. We represent Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting <coughs> about the church. The church is not young, is it? It's old now. It's more than 2,000 years old. So the global church, all of us together, as the people of God, we have 2,000 years worth of growing pains, don't we? We've had times in our past where we did a good job as a church. We have times in our past where we didn't do a good job as a church. We have times where we represented Jesus well, where we didn't represent Jesus very well. And so we've, we've got 2,000 years of that. But can I also say right now, in our time, in our season, we have 17 months of COVID growing pains as a church. Have you noticed that? Like the church is interesting. Let me give you an example. Look around. Before COVID, we had three full services here. Has anything changed? A little bit. A little bit. COVID's changed a lot. And it's changed a lot in the church. But as we look at the growing pains of the entire church, and we look at 17 months of growing pains of COVID, I want to ask us a question today about the American church. And it's a tough question, so uh, hold on. Ready? Here's our question this morning. How are we doing? How are we doing representing Jesus today as an American church? Do we live like Jesus? Do we obey God's word? Is the cross and resurrection the most important in your life? Do you have a relational environment that you're participating in on a regular basis? Is prayer the most essential part of your life? Do we look for ways to give? Am I sharing Jesus with others? How about, let's talk about a deep one. How's our unity? How's our unity in the church of Jesus Christ in America? Think about COVID for a minute. Did the church look unified during COVID or maybe a little spread out? Some want to wear their masks, some don't. If you wear a mask, you're full of fear. If you don't wear a mask, you don't love anybody. And that's what we said to one another and to the world. Some want the vaccine, some don't. I go to a church that wants it. I go to a church that doesn't. 
our church is better than your church because of the way we stand politically. Some meet on Saturday, some meet on Sunday. Some believe in the Holy Spirit, some don't. Most of us meet with our own race, and we're not multiracial churches, which is not a representation of God's word. Our theologies vary widely. We often feel like being right is more important than being loving and kind. Social media taught me that in the church over the past 17 months. How are we doing, really? Are, is the church changing our country, or is our country changing us? Those are good questions. They're tough questions, but I think we need to start asking them because I think as we move forward into our future as the church, we have a lot of huge challenges moving forward as our culture goes one way and the word calls us to go the other way. Amen. That's going to be a challenge for us. Now, is that challenge insurmountable? Absolutely not. That's been the mode of the church for 2,000 years. We've always gone the opposite direction of culture because culture tends to be unholy and God calls us to be holy. So that's nothing new, and it's nothing new. We read it every single day, that the power of our God is stronger than anything on this planet, so it's not something we need to worry about, but is it something we have to figure out and figure out how we're going to share Jesus with a culture moving forward? Absolutely, we do. we got to figure that out. we got to work that out. So I'm not going to pretend that I have everything figured out as a pastor or that Cheney Faith Center is a perfect church but the way the collective American church represented Jesus during COVID, I have to be honest, was somewhat troubling to me. The way I watched uh, the church treat one another on social media and in the news was troubling. So what should we do? What should we get back to? Let me give you a couple things, and I'm going to blaze through these so you can look at them on the screen with me. What should we do? Well, 1 John 2.6 says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Well, that's, that seems too simple. You mean WWJD was right all along? Yep, it was. Get your bracelet back out because WWJD was exactly what the word says. Just live like Jesus did. It wasn't a fad. It was biblical. That's what John said. Just live like Jesus did. Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, look at this, no one will see the Lord. Now, let me ask a question. If our culture isn't seeing the Lord Who's the problem? Us. Because it's based on what? The church's holiness. It's based on our holiness. See, I want people to see Jesus in me. I, I want to represent Jesus to the world. And the author says there's two things that'll help. One, live in peace with everyone. In other words, you're not a hater, <laughs> right? Live in peace with everyone. And number two, be holy. Let your life shine the light of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Mark, that, that, I would look totally different than our culture. You got it. You got it. That's exactly what God wants. He wants us to look totally different than the culture so we shine. 
just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when he said what? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. By the way, let me just make a modern day example of this. We don't put our lights on the floor. We put them on the ceiling. So they light the whole room. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How can we represent Jesus? Let the light of Jesus shine through you. Just let his light shine through you and come out of you. Now here's what else is interesting that Jesus said. May, your, may, may the world see your good deeds and glorify Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus said, you and I should have good things that we're doing in the world. There should be things that we're doing in our community that show the goodness of God coming out of us, flowing out of us, helping the poor, loving a neighbor, mowing an elderly person's lawn. When the snow flies, shoveling somebody's driveway, right? Those good deeds that you and I do, we should, those, those show the light of Jesus, Matthew 5 says. Now, they don't, prove, they don't, they don't make your salvation, you shoveling that driveway full of snow doesn't mean that you're saved. It's not making you more saved. It's showing the light of Jesus. That's what our good deeds do. And we should be having those all the time. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So if I want to represent Jesus, then I'll need to what? Stop living for myself. Ah, I hate this verse. <laughs> I like me. You like you? I hope you like you because the identity of God is inside of you. I hope when you look in the mirror, you say, I like that guy. I like that girl. She's created in the image of God. But at some point, I have to what? I have to stop living for me and I have to start living for Jesus. And then... When I'm not living for myself, people will see Jesus in me because I'm living for him. See, the church is important because we are the representation of Jesus. And lastly, the church is important because we have the most important job in the world. The most important job in the world belongs to you, the church. Now, there's some other important jobs in the world, too. For instance, the people that guard the little button that launched the nuclear missiles, I think that's an important job. Anybody, that, that's, that's an important one, right? Right? It's a good one. Here's one. Maybe this will ring true for you or just kind of hit you right where we're at, maybe. I think the people that guard the safety systems in biological labs with bad viruses have a really important job to make sure those don't accidentally or purposefully get out the door. Anybody else think that's an important job? See, here's the thing. Jobs like missile guarders and virus guarders, their job has huge consequences enormous consequences that can touch every single person on the planet. 
and affect them in a serious way. Is your job like that? It is. Because the message of Jesus Christ and the love that he brings and the eternal life that he brings affects every single person on the entire planet in a good way. And if you and I don't do our job, then the world's in trouble. Because the church is important. Because our job is to share Jesus with the world. And our response to Jesus affects their eternity. Just like if I pushed the button for no reason, it would affect everybody. Now here's what's interesting. Let me tell you why I think we have an even more important job than the missile button garter, if that's their job description. I, that might be their title, right? Missile button garter? Sounds official. If I die from a nuclear bomb, that would be tragic, right? Unless I have Jesus. If I have Jesus, I'm okay. If I don't, not so good. If I die of COVID tomorrow and I have Jesus, I'm okay. Amen. If I die of COVID tomorrow and I don't have Jesus, not so good. Now whose job is the most important? Yours. Your job, because you're the church and you're a follower of Christ, your job, what you're doing with your neighbors and your coworkers and your family, your job is the most important job in the entire world. Because only your job deals with eternity. That's why what we do as a church together is the most important thing in the entire world. Now, I'm always looking for ways, I'm always looking for ways to share Jesus with people around me. I hope you are too. I really liked the questions that Pastor Craig shared with us when he preached out of Romans chapter 9 a couple weeks ago. And I just wanted to remind you of these questions that you can walk through with people if you're sharing Jesus with them. The first one is, how much do I really matter to God? That was the first question. How much do I really matter to God? And that question is huge. By the way, uh, Kellen, I'm jumping to the end now, skipping some things, so you'll probably find that slide at the end. Um, how much do I really matter to God? That's a good question to ask people and for them to ask. And you get to talk to them about Jesus in that moment and say, you know, here's, here's what Jesus believes about you and here's how much you matter to God. You get to talk about Jesus and that's really important. The second question is how fair is God's treatment of me? Is it fair that I might go to heaven or go to hell based on what Jesus has done? Absolutely, because it's based on Jesus, not on me. It's not based on how good or bad I am. It's based on Jesus. Therefore, it's fair for every single one of us because the playing field is completely level and it's fair for everyone. And third, isn't the gospel just too good to be true? And it is. Or it's not, actually. It's not too good to be true. It's exactly what God's been doing all of, all of time. He wants to help us. And he wants everyone to know this important truth. 
Now, let me remind you of what Jesus said to all of us in Matthew 28 as we go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you stand with me? The church is important because we have the most important job in the world. Because we're the representation of Jesus on the earth. And because the church is God's idea and God's ideas are best. I want to leave you with one last thing that I think is really important. Did you know that the church is the only thing that will last? So look around the room for a minute. I hope you like these people because you're going to spend a long, long, long time with them. Now, here's part of the good news. He won't be wearing that shirt for eternity. That will not. <laughs> Neither will you two. And I won't be wearing mine. All of us will be wearing a shirt that says Jesus is cool. That's the only shirt that we'll be wearing. And since that's the only shirt that we'll be wearing, and since, it's the on since we're the only thing that will last, wisdom would conclude that we should put our time, our attention, and our resources into the things that will last. That's why I want to encourage you to do your job and share Jesus with a lost and hurting world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to say thank you so much. We want to say thank you that you left heaven and you came here and you died on a cross and you rose again so that we could be free. Yeah. Thank you for that freedom, Jesus. But Lord, we also know that as soon as we leave this room, we're going to encounter person after person after person that thinks they know what freedom is, that thinks money is freedom, or a certain political system is freedom, or a sinful nature they're living in is freedom. And all of those things are lies. And Lord, it's up to us to live in a way that honors you and helps them see what true freedom looks like. And so, Holy Spirit, I just want to pray that you would empower every single one of us to do that. Every single person watching me right now on, on camera, you're just watching right now on your TV, I just pray for you too. I just empower you in the name of the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and live like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. Give like Jesus. Use your resources to help people believe in Jesus. And Jesus, we, we also want to just admit this, this morning that as we move into a new future, we need new ideas. We need new ways that the Holy Spirit can use us to bring the gospel to the world 
but we also need old ways. And Holy Spirit, we're going to ask that those old ways would open people's eyes. Old ways like healing the sick, raising the dead, open blind eyes, Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit falling upon us, people getting saved in their life revealing the goodness of God. We pray for those old ways too, to open the eyes of people that are spiritually unresolved and don't know Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks and praise this morning that you've saved us. But I pray that you would help us to never see that that's enough because our neighbor, our friend, a family member needs to know Jesus and they're watching us. So help us to live peaceful and holy lives to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being here this morning. It was great to see you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So to Kate and I, have a great week.